Chapter Two of Virgin Soil, Volume One, by Ivan Turgenev, translated by Constance Garnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. At the sight of visitors in his room, he stopped short in the doorway, took them all in in a glance, flung off his cap, dropped the book straight onto the floor, and without a word went up to the bed and sat down on the edge of it. His handsome white face, which looked still whiter from the deep red of his wavy chestnut hair expressed dissatisfaction and annoyance. Mashurina turned slightly away, biting her lip. Ostrodomov growled, At last! Parklin was the first to approach Neshtanov. What's wrong with you, Alexei Dmitrievich, Hamlet of Russia? Has anyone offended you? Or is it a causeless melancholy? Stop that, please, Mephistopheles of Russia, answered Neshtanov irritably. I'm not equal to a contest with you in dull smartness. Parklin laughed. You don't express yourself very accurately. If it's smart, it's not dull. If it's dull, it's not smart. Very well, very well. You're a witty fellow, we all know. And you're in a highly nervous condition, Parklin drawled. Or has something really happened? Nothing has happened in special. But what's happened is that one can't set one's foot into the street in this filthy town, in Petersburg, without coming across some meanness, idiocy, hideous injustice, rottenness. Life here is impossible any longer. So that's why you've advertised in the paper for a place as a tutor and are ready to go away, Ostrodomov growled again. I should think so. I shall get away from here with all the pleasure in life. If only some fool can be found to give me a situation. You must first do your duty here, said Mashurina significantly, still looking away. And that is, queried Neshtanov, turning sharply round to her. Mashurina pressed her lips tightly together. Ostrodomov will tell you. Neshtanov turned to Ostrodomov. But the latter only cleared his throat and grunted, Wait a bit. No, joking apart now, really, interposed Parklin, have you heard something's gone wrong? Nishtanov bounded up on the bed, as though some force were tossing him upwards. "'What more would you have going wrong?' he shouted, his voice suddenly growing loud. "'Half Russia's dying of hunger. The Moscow Gazette's triumphant. They're going to introduce classicism. The students' benefit clubs are prohibited. Everywhere there's spying, persecution, betrayal, lying and treachery. We can't advance a step in any direction. And all that's not enough for him. He looks for something fresh to go wrong. He thinks I'm joking.' Pasanov's arrested, he added, dropping his voice a little. They told me at the library. Ostrodomov and Mashurina both at once raised their heads. My dear fellow, Alexei Dmitrievich, began Parklin, you are excited. No wonder. But have you forgotten what an age and what a country we live in? Why, among us a drowning man has to make for himself the very straw he's to clutch at. What's the good of being sentimental over it? One must face the worst, my dear fellow, and not fly into a rage like a baby. Ah, oh, don't, please, Neshtanov interrupted fretfully, and his face worked as if he were in pain. You, we all know, are a man of energy. You're afraid of nothing and nobody. Me, afraid of nobody, Parklin was beginning. Who could have betrayed Basanov? Neshtanov went on. I don't understand it. Why, to be sure, a friend. They're grand hands at that, friends are. You must be on the lookout with them. I, for instance, had a friend, and a capital fellow he seemed, thought such a lot of me, of my reputation. One day he came to me. Fancy, he cried, the ridiculous slanders they've been spreading about you. 
they declare you poisoned your own uncle that you were introduced into some house and at once took a seat with your back to the lady of the house and persisted in sitting so the whole evening and that she fairly cried yes cried at the insult what absurdity what inanity what fools can believe such a story and what followed why a year later i quarrelled with that very friend and he writes in a letter of farewell you who killed your own uncle you who were not ashamed to insult a respectable lady by sitting with your back to her and so on and so on that's what friends are ostrodomov exchanged glances with mashurina alexey dmitrievich he blurted in his heavy bass he obviously wanted to cut short the useless eruption of words that was beginning a letter has come from vasily nikolaevich from moscow Nishtanov gave a slight start and looked down what does he write he asked at last well they want me and her ostrodomov indicated mashurina to go what they ask for her too yes well where's the difficulty why of course the difficulty is money nishtanov got up from the bed and went up to the window is a great deal wanted fifty roubles can't do with less nishtanov was silent for a space i haven't got it now he muttered at last drumming on the pane with his fingertips but i could get it i will get it have you the letter the letter it that's to say of course but why do you always keep things back from me cried parklin haven't i deserved your confidence even if i didn't fully sympathize with what you are undertaking could you suppose me capable of turning traitor or chattering unintentionally perhaps ostrodomov said in his deep notes neither intentionally nor unintentionally there's madame mashurina looking at me with a smile but i say i'm not smiling snapped mashurina but i say pursued Paklin, that you gentlemen have no intuition that you don't know how to distinguish who are your real friends if a man laughs you think he is not serious to be sure mashurina snapped again here for instance Paklin hurried on with renewed vigour this time not even replying to mashurina you are in want of money and neshtanov hasn't it at the moment well i can let you have it neshtanov turned quickly round from the window no no what for i will get it i will draw part of my allowance in advance they do owe me something if i remember but i say ostrodomov show the letter ostrodomov first remained for some time motionless then he looked round then he stood up bent right down and tucking up his trouser pulled out of the leg of his high boot a carefully folded ball of blue paper having pulled this ball out he for some unknown reason blew on it and gave it to neshtanov the latter took the paper unfolded it read it attentively and handed it to mashurina she first got up from her chair then she too read it and returned it to neshtanov though parklin was holding out his hand for it neshtanov shrugged his shoulders and passed the mysterious letter to parklin parklin in his turn ran his eyes over it and compressing his lips with great significance he laid it in solemn silence on the table then ostrodomov took it lighted a large match which diffused a strong smell of brimstone and first raising the paper high above his head as though he would show it to all present he burned it up completely in the match not sparing his fingers and flung the ashes into the stove no one uttered a single word no one even moved during this operation the eyes of all were cast down ostrodomov had a concentrated and businesslike air 
Nishtanov's face looked wrathful. There were signs in Parklin of being ill at ease. Mashurina might have been at a solemn mass. So passed two minutes. Then a slight awkwardness came over all of them. Parklin first felt the necessity of breaking the silence. Well then, he began, is my sacrifice on the altar of the fatherland accepted or not? Am I permitted to contribute, if not fifty roubles, at least twenty-five or thirty to the common cause? Nishtanov all at once flew into a perfect fury. His irritability had been growing, it seemed. The solemn burning of the letter had by no means allayed it. It was only waiting for an excuse to break out. I have told you already that it's not wanted. Not wanted. Not wanted. I won't allow it, and I won't accept it. I'll get the money. I'll get it directly. I don't need help from anyone. All right, my dear fellow, observed Parklin. I see, though you are a revolutionist, you're not a democrat. Say at once that I'm an aristocrat. Well, you are an aristocrat, really, to a certain degree. Nishtanov gave a forced laugh. So you mean to hint at my being an illegitimate son? You needn't trouble, my kind friend. Without your aid, I'm not likely to forget that. Parklin flung up his arms in despair. Alyosha, upon my word, what is the matter with you? How could you take my words like that? I don't know you today. Nishtanov made an impatient gesture of the head and shoulders. Bazanov's arrest has upset you, but, you know, he used to behave so imprudently. He used not to conceal his convictions, Mashurina put in gloomily. It's not for us to find fault with him. Of course, only he ought to have thought of others too, who may be compromised by him now. Why do you suppose that of him? Ostrodomov boomed in his turn. Bazanov's a man of strong will, and he will never betray anyone. As for prudence, let me tell you, we're not all equally able to be prudent, Mr. Parklin. Parklin was offended and was about to retort, but Neshtanov stopped him. Gentlemen, he cried, be so good as to let politics alone for a time, please. A silence followed. I met Skoropian today, Parklin began at last our great national critic and aesthetic enthusiast. What an intolerable creature. He's forever boiling over and frothing, for all the world like a bottle of bad sour kvass. The waiter, as he runs, holds it down with his finger instead of a cork. A fat raisin sticks in the neck. It goes on bubbling and hissing. And when once all the foam's flown out of it, all that's left at the bottom is a few drops of villainous sour stuff, which quenches no one's thirst, but only gives one a stomach ache. A most pernicious individual for young people to have to do with. The comparison Parklin had made, though true and apt, called up no smile on anyone's face. Only Ostrodomov observed that young people who were capable of taking an interest in aesthetic criticism deserved no pity, even if Skoropian did lead them astray. But really, one moment, Parklin exclaimed with warmth, the less sympathy he met with, the hotter he got. Here we have a question, not political, we admit, but important for all that. To listen to Skoropian, every ancient work of art is no good for the very reason that it is ancient. If that's so, art is nothing but a fashion, and it's not worthwhile to talk seriously about it. If there is nothing stable, eternal in it, then away with it. In science, in mathematics, for instance, you don't regard Euler, Laplace, House as antiquated imbeciles, do you? Are you prepared to reckon them as authorities, while Raphael and Mozart are fools? Does your pride revolt against their authority? The canons of art are more difficult to arrive at than the laws of science, agreed. But they exist, and anyone who doesn't see them is blind. Whether willfully or not makes no difference. Parklin ceased. 
and no one uttered a sound as though all of them were holding water in their mouths as though all were a little ashamed of him only ostrodomov growled and all the same i don't feel the least sorry for young men who are led astray by skoropin oh go to the devil with you thought parklin i'm off he had come to see Neshtanov with the object of communicating to him his views as to procuring the polar star from abroad the bell had already ceased to exist but the conversation had taken such a turn that it seemed better not even to raise this question parklin was already reaching after his cap when suddenly without any premonitory noise or knocking there was heard in the ante-room a marvellously pleasant manly and mellow baritone the very sound of which had somehow a suggestion of exceptional good breeding good education and even good perfume is mr neshtarnoff at home they all looked at one another in amazement mr neshtarnoff at home repeated the baritone yes answered neshtarnoff at last the door was opened discreetly and smoothly and slowly removing his glossy hat from his comely short-cropped head a man of about forty tall well-made and dignified came into the room he was dressed in a very handsome cloth coat with a superb beaver collar though the month of april was drawing to its close he struck all nezhdanov parklin even mashurina even ostrodomov by the elegant self-possession of his carriage and the cordial ease of his address they all instinctively rose on his entrance End of chapter 2